And now it is time for We Are Just Christians live from Savona Church in Port St. Lucie. Here are your hosts this morning, Mike Schmidt and Gary Jones. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning and welcome to We Are Just Christians. We're very glad you tuned into the show today. Hope you stay with us for the next hour. We'll be on until 10 a.m. Eastern time. Uh, and we'll be taking your calls, comments, and questions since this is this is a live call-in show. And I'll give you the numbers in just a moment and how to reach us here in, the, in Port St. Lucie. But as I said, we're thankful that you've tuned in and hope that the things that we talk about today in our discussion will be of some benefit to you. As a, uh, This is a live show, so it's not scripted. My, my name is Mike Schmidt, by the way. I'm the preacher and one of the elders. And Gary Jones, how are you doing, Gary? I'm doing good this morning, Mike. Right. Doing well, perhaps. Doing well, maybe that's better English. That's better English. But in any event, uh, we come here usually on Sunday mornings unless there's some other crazy thing going on that we can't. But this is a live show, and we depend on your interaction. We'd like to have uh, a call, and we don't, you don't have to agree or disagree with us. It doesn't have to be something that you think is earth-shattering, but anything you'd like to talk about of a spiritual nature, we'd be glad to talk with you about. And uh, I, as I mentioned previously many times especially if you disagree or do not consider yourself a believer or if you're a skeptic about things in the bible we'd be glad to hear from you we're not going to take advantage of you mock you or anything like that at all that's not really the nature of what this show is about and so uh, but we would like to hear from you so everything is on the table we talk about specific questions from the bible we talk about culturally cultural issues uh, we talk about even things that are concerned to us personally about our spiritual life. And we always try to direct our thoughts and our answers back to what the text of the Bible says, because we believe that's where the answer is found uh, to these situations. Not, not every individual specific thing in modern society or that humans have done through the years is in the Bible per se, but the principles are there. And we'd like to, because of everything that matters to human beings, the Bible talks about. So we're going to be talking about that today. So we'll try to give you that kind of an answer if you call in. Well, there's one verse in the Bible that, that basically uh, gives you where we're coming from, and that's John 12:48. He says, um, he who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. Those are Jesus's words. So that's the that's the reason why we think these things are significant and important uh, for us to consider. And uh, it can be a short journey or a long journey to find the, the, the truth in the scriptures for you, where you are, that can change your life, not only of this, in this life, but also in the next life. But wherever you are, you have to start that journey sometime. So we'd like to provoke you into that uh, that idea by talking about different issues that come up, different things that concern us, and um, that's important for us to consider. Sometimes you may agree with the things that we say. That's well and good. Sometimes you may disagree. Of course, that's all right also, but we invite you to think about that. We'll call in, and we'll talk about that. We make a couple promises or statements about calling in. Uh, number one, if you call in, we're not going to harass you. We don't say things just to get a response from people or to bait you into calling in. We're not going to take a position with you just to disagree so we can have an argument and, and so forth. 
And we're all going to give you the last word. That's particularly true if you disagree. We're going to give you the last word so you don't feel like we've taken advantage of you in that. And so you can have that assurance when you call in. A lot of people have the idea nobody wants to hear what I got to, what I have to say about this or nobody's concerned about that. I, I can assure you from having done this for a long time that most people are interested in what other people think about it. And the same questions that you have, other people have something that question or something very similar also. And so it's important that we that we, it's important if you're going to call in to remember that that we can we'll share our ideas about these things and then we'll both go back to the Bible hopefully read what it says and find the right answer. So anyway, let me give you the numbers. A lot of talking, uh, and we'll give you the numbers. And that is seven seven two. 340-1590 is the number to reach us here in Port St. Lucie. You can also text us. A lot of people like to text 772-260-6120. That's one number, 772-260-6120. And then Gary's text number is 772 and we'll be glad to take your call. Well, I think we have a caller on the line, Gary. Right off, Go okay. Ahead. That's right. Jer Jerry, are you there? Uh, good morning, Mike. Good morning, Gary. Uh, I have a, a very brief question about uh, uh, the invention of the uh, cotton gin. And I know the inventor first name was Eli. Eli, uh, I believe his last name started with a W, Eli uh, Whitney or something like that. Now, I understand in... Uh, in the South, uh, when they say do you cotton, they mean do you understand? And uh, was this the beginning of the uh, Industrial Revolution? And I'm more interested in whether Eli uh, was a biblical name. And uh, so uh, uh, and that's about it. And uh, thank you for taking my call, Mike. I appreciate it, Gary. I mean, Jerry, thank you very much. Uh, well, let's start with the first one. As I haven't... Uh, done this study in American history in quite a few years, but yes, I, I certainly believe from what I know that the invention of the cotton gin in the United States in the 1800s was the beginning of the Industrial Revolution here and certainly changed everything about American agriculture because once that was invented and cotton could be harvested without slave labor or a lot of human labor, it changed everything. And, and that began, then once that kind of thing happens among humans, everybody else begins to um, get in on the act, as it were, and think, well, how can I apply this to what I need to be done? It changed <laughs> well, the way everybody thinks about how, th how things ought to be done. Well, let me correct one thing. I, basically, it wasn't a harvesting. It was the cotton gin was the cleaning of the cotton that wow. used to be carded. Uh, they still had to have hand labor up until well into the 21st century That's before true. we got harvesters. But they, so, they, 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 it did change the way that har cotton was harvested and the very the labor-intensive nature of that. You're right. There still had to be and, all those cotton pickers out in the field, I guess. That's and the beginning, beginning of the Industrial Re Revolution, actually, I think, Mike, would depend on which country you're looking at. It was well underway in England and Europe before it started here. And I was going to say, I think it, I think it actually started in Britain or in England before that time. But uh, of course, it, things began to accelerate. And then by the time you get to Henry Ford, 
introduction of the methods of the assembly line and mass production like that, everything completely changed. And that's where we are today, the same methods. And it's hard for us to living today to picture how things were made before that. Seems obvious everything should have been made like that, but it wasn't. And that that changed everything. You know, the funny thing about humans, though, and we're not on this, we need to get to his other question. Yeah. Is we think, well, it's like light bulbs. We think when we got the LED light bulbs, they use a lot less electricity. People will save a lot of electricity. We can use a lot less electricity. You know, human nature says, no, that's not what happened. What happened is people just have more light lights. We have more lights. We use the same electricity, amount of electricity, maybe more. We just have thousands of more watts of lightage going on, you know, uh, lumens of light in our homes. Right. And we used more power to produce those LED bulbs than we did Probably the saving. others. Uh, yes. And so they don't save anywhere near as Probably much not. as people think. No, they don't. And because they don't, we don't always consider the uh, cost of manufacturing, both in labor and materials. But um, true cost benefit analysis escapes. Uh, progressives but anyway one other point about mr whitney uh he and samuel colt were probably the ones that made assembly line work possible because they began to introduce the idea of standardization of parts uh they begin to get the idea that all parts ought to made made interchangeable so that you didn't have to if you had to have a new part for your machine you basically went to a glorified blacksmith and he actually made a part to fit your machine and you couldn't go buy one. And uh, Whitney and Samuel Colt were probably the uh, the instigators of much of that. Yes, and, and they, it's like a, a lot of other things. These, these inventions and the minds of some people became the foundations which other people built upon. Nobody jumped from hand-making everything to a Model T factory. It, it took the lots of other inventions, and some of them very in, in seemingly unconnected to bring about something like mass production we have now. And so, and these things have improved the lives of human beings immensely. Now, there's always a downside to everything. People have this utopian idea that you can have an idea or an invention that doesn't have a negative side effect to it, but you can't. There's no decision you can make in life. There's nothing, no choice you can make that does not have a negative side to it. The question is, how big is it? And can you live with that negative side effect? Or do you want to live with that negative side? But there's always one. And and so uh, that that's the problem. It's like you're a child. You think you can just make a decision. Everything's going to turn out perfectly. No. When you marry a certain person, it may be a good decision. But I can guarantee you when you make that decision to marry a certain Marry a particular person. There's negative things associated with that person. You have to either take the positive and, and out, have to out, way outweigh the negative, or you don't make it. But there's nothing. And so the, invent, the industrialization has tremendous benefits for human comfort and flourishing. Uh, but it also has downsides, you know. And we have to try to mitigate. What humans are also good about that, Gary, is minimizing the negative effects of things over time. That's what capitalism does. It takes, it, it allows people to have the freedom to minimize the negative effects, which of course also has some negative effects. But you know, and and over time things improve. They improve greatly. And if we really, if we only could be, I wish a lot of people, maybe me myself needed too, is needed, could be transported back 150 years and just live a day 
150 years ago in the same social status you are now and just see what things were like, you would be begging well, to, to come back to, to this horrible place in the 21st century where things are the worst we've ever been. And the idea that people are not healthy today, and they, were, they once were very healthy. Are you kidding me? If you weren't healthy, you didn't live very long. No, you <laughs> were dead. And, and yes. for crying out loud, it's just ridiculous to think that humans are, have, that Americans have the worst health of anybody that ever lived. Uh, how do we get, how do we let ourselves come to believe those kinds? Well, let, let, let me make my one comment. One of the things about today, and, and the industrial revolution has just manifest itself in a technolo technological advance that's been continuing since probably the mid 1700s. We, we've, we've, that's we've, what I mean. It's one building on the shores of another. Of, of another. But one of the things today, Mike, is the computer and the computer chip and what it's allowed us to do in terms of research and study, and in my case, in particular, the Bible. The electronic concordances and the electronic books that you can bring to fruit and bear, the definitions of words, the uh, comparison to commentaries, the comparison to other works, uh, you know, the dictionaries that have already compared many words and their usage is just phenomenal compared to what it was even 35 years ago. So you, we can write articles and complain about the fact that computers bring a lot of filth and that pornography has just exploded exponentially since the invention of the computer, computer. and handheld phones. But so, so, has study, that, so has study of the Bible. So it, has the potential to study the Bible. The question is, do we choose it? Yes. And, and there it is with the Industrial Revolution. All these inventions and things that help people they don't change the basic thing that humans are often greedy and selfish and power hungry. And so whether you have a lot of technology or little, whatever new technology is invented, since human nature hasn't been altered, then you have the evil that goes with it. It doesn't matter what the technology is. Humans are just as bad, maybe worse in some ways, maybe not, than people of previous generations. But don't think they were pristine either. Because you don't have to have technology to be human and be evil. But what progressivism and utopianism can't do, because it's never not suited to do it, is change human nature. They don't change human nature. Only the gospel can change human nature. Only the Holy Spirit working through the gospel can change human nature. And in the end, it's still very intractable, even with the effect of the gospel, because churches are filled with people that do wrong things. So... Um, we're, we're stuck with this human condition. We need to uh, we need to read the Bible to find out how to deal with it. That's our that's more of this show. We're not going to get rid of evil by voting for a certain person or not voting for a certain person or following a certain movement. If we could just get the whole everybody to accept the environmental movement, everything would be perfect. Really? Are you that child childlike naive? You know, uh, apparently some people are, but. I'm, I get off get, get off this rant. What were you going to say, Gary? I'm well, just I'm just I, I just like to go back to inviting people to use a computer, learn to yes. use your computer, yes. and learn to use it to study the Bible because it can open up avenues of knowledge to you and comparison of works and and ideas that are just unheard of 35, 40 years ago. Right. It it's just and the and the question is, you know, you can carry the Bible around with you. In your hand, in your pocket, in your phone, wherever you go, I could say in your phone, you can carry that around with you much easier than you can a, a printed book. If you want to use a printed book, I prefer printed books in some ways, but the convenience of having 
a searchable Bible in my pocket and various versions of that text to look at uh, is immeasurably beneficial to me. Now, the real the question is not that in the end. In the end, that's important. The question is, would I rather just scroll through Facebook or read my Bible when I have my phone in my hand and I'm with, waiting at a doctor's office or somewhere? What do I choose to do? There's the dilemma for most people. At least uh, even Bible-believing people who have the Bible on their phone. Do you, given your human nature, make the choice to look at that or look at something that is essentially or, worthless? Or play a game on it. Or play a game, yeah. So that's the, that's the key issue. Now, that's the same issue other people had. Once books were invented, they had access to books, and people felt about books the same way you and I feel about these computers, that they open up a whole realm of possible knowledge and benefit to us. Did people use them? Well, a lot of people did. But did it, did it alter humanity uh, completely? No, it didn't. And, and before that, some people had access to people who could teach them about the Bible or the Word of God. And did they always access that? No, they didn't. So there it goes back to. But Gary is correct. Please make sure that you do use the Bible, read the Bible. And if you do have access to a computer or a phone, you can use tools that are so that are easy for anyone to operate, and you can learn so much. Oh, it can it's open just... up so much interest to you and, and can move you. You can get devotional Bible study plans that will remind you every day to read different parts of the Bible. I mean, there's so much that's available there. Maybe we, we should probably do a show on some of that. We've done it before. Maybe we should do another show on some of that, Gary. Uh, uh, you know, some of the stuff. My, my wife reads the Bible in two ways. Once one on her iPad with a chronological or type of reading program, I believe, and the other one is through some printed books that someone gave her that are Bibles, just printed in different size books. And, um, you know, I'll, say, I'll just have to, I'm just teasing her, but it's just improved her so much. <laughs> <laughs> it's made her, you know, well, it forces her to like me. She's by guilty conscience, Gary. She's forced to like me and try to be nice to me. Anyway, I hope you can see my tongue in my cheek when I'm saying that. But in any event, the other part of Jerry's question was about the name of Eli. Eli Eli was a priest back at the time of the judges. So it is a biblical name. It is a biblical name, yes. Eli, now the Whitney part, I'm sure, is English. Uh, or something like that, but the Eli part is a, is a biblical name, and there's a lot of derivation. L E L is the general way we would bring the name of God or the word God over into um, English. L L was a name that that was used in a I would say the generic word for God, sort of Jehovah. The any a lot of people across even the pagan religions called their God L the they would call the main god, the master god, El, or Baal. And so El is the name of God. So when you see the word like my name, Michael, Michael means who is like God. Whenever you see that E-L in a name, or uh, you have some a name like jo- Joel, Joel, that is, uh, uh, forgot that I think it means Jehovah is God, Joel, it's a form of J-L, Yael. And so you have all these L's. My brother's name is Daniel. 
E-L. God is judge. You'll see this word. And Eli is just the simplest form of that. It just means uh, godlike or God. And you'll see him, you see he is, uh, Eli was a priest, and um, they would say Eli means to go up, you know, ascension, and it's but it's related to the name for God. But he had a couple of sons who were very wicked. They wouldn't do what he was supposed, what they were supposed to do, and God judged them for it. God judged Eli for not not restraining his sons. So he was yes. a good man who had bad sons, and part of the reason he had bad sons, even though he was a good man, is he would not restrain them and, and teach them to do what was right. And uh, that that's basically the same thing as an absentee father, too. Yeah. Uh, we talk about uh, a man who would abandon the woman and the child and leave them and leave the children without a father at all. Uh, Eli wasn't much better than no father at all, right. according to God. Yeah. Yes, that's right. And, and there were several <clears throat> things that happened in the life of Eli that are very interesting. And you'll find these in the book of First Samuel. You'll find all the stories about Eli... Uh, <clears throat> in the book of first samuel well, the bible is so one of the reasons the bible is so interesting and has stood the test of time and people reading it is it's it's not it's not like other books other religious books it is it pictures the people as they really were i think if all you do is if you've ever if you've just heard about heard about the bible from other people and you've heard about it maybe through children's Bible stories sometimes, and not very well done Bible stories, you get the idea that all these people were good and that they always went around with their hands folded praying and their heads bowed and all that kind of stuff. They always that, did the right thing. That, they always did the right thing, or else they were obviously terribly wicked and had horns growing out of the side of their head. You get this uh, very simplistic and unhelpful view of humanity from a shallow understanding of the Bible, when you actually read what it says about these people, uh, you see that every single one of them had flaws for the most part. I'll say every some of them we don't know their flaws, like like Enoch and some others. But you see the greatest characters in the Bible, Abraham, David, others. We see the Bible presents them as they were, and and. Uh, it, it helps us to see that humans are, are what they are. That's one of the reasons I believe the Bible is true, Gary, from all the other evidences, that the Bible presents a true picture of humanity. Other ancient books do not. When you compare them to other ancient books, they do not picture a true view of the pharaohs or the kings or anything else. They, they're slanted, completely biased histories one way or the other. The Bible presents the king... And, the kings of Israel and the people of the prophets of Israel, as and Eli was <coughs> one of those men. He was good, but his sons were evil, and it was because of a flaw of him that it was allowed to continue, and they were eventually judged for that. Uh, so you were going to say something else. I well, I was just going to say that there are very few characters that, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> pardon me, that the Bible does not point out any flaws. There are very few. Um, only one that comes to my mind right now are two, Daniel and Joseph. Those two don't have flaws pointed out, but basically David uh, was involved in several things that were not quite upright, and uh, he had he had to admit that guilt. Uh, there there are several of those Old Testament characters that are that way. 
That's, that's right. And so we, we get an honest view of um, we get an honest view of these men. And, and and that's not always true in ancient literature. And we should take a look at that, consider it. Now I'm not for condemning people in the Bible based on our moral standards, our sensibilities today, uh, when the Bible doesn't condemn them. So you got to be careful about that. We may have moral sensibilities about that ourselves that may or may not be accurate given the time that they lived in and the circumstances of that time and the commands that they lived under, according to God, may be different than what we're living under. But we still have to respect what the Bible does say about them. So yes, Eli is a man of God. Let me give the numbers again. We can... Uh, maybe move on here a little bit, that the numbers to reach us here in Port St. Lucie, the call-in number, which puts you to the front of the line, is 772-340-1590. 772-340-1590 is the, is the number to reach us live. Uh, Ray there at the station will talk to you a moment, put you right on through to us, let us know that you're on the air, and we'll, we'll put you on. You can talk to us for as long as you want. We like to you can ask your question and and hang up, or we'd like to have a conversation with you, find out more about what you're what you're thinking. So, in any event, uh, that's you can also reach us by text at seven seven two 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 six zero six one two zero seven seven two two six zero six one two zero is um, how to reach us by text or six two two zero. Seven seven two two six zero six two two zero. You can you can uh, look at now. We had a caller, a texter, John, who um, he, he recommends a book. And, you know, I've meant to get this book and I haven't. Called "Who Wrote the Bible" by Richard Elliot Freeman. Uh, I've read it. I've got a copy of it somewhere. I, I have a feeling I wouldn't recommend all of it, but it, it's got a lot of information on background stuff about this uh, stuff. It's well written. Uh, it's not necessarily from a believer's point of view, though. Mike. Well, no, I don't think he yes. I'm going to say because I don't think he's a believer at all, or, uh, especially not in the way that I would consider there's to be a believer. Uh, John also says a lot of these guys in the Bible would be in a super supermax prison today, or they'd be in a mental hospital. And, and maybe there's some, some truth in that. You see, you have to understand, ancient times, they didn't have police forces and detectives and all that. You, you were just on your own, you know, you're, you're just on your own out there in the world. And it took a lot of violent men had to be opposed oftentimes violently. And sometimes God needed to raise up a violent man to, to protect his people or protect the innocent. Violence isn't bad within itself because sometimes violence is used to protect the innocent. I'm against people. Oh, we don't need any violence. Well, define what violence is, you know. Is, de is defending your life by hurting someone violence? Well, in a technical sense, but it's not, it's not necessarily evil to do that. And so some of these people in the Bible were doing that. Others were just violent because the times were violent. There were no, no police forces, no prisons. How were they going to deal with people like Jeffrey Dahmer in ancient times? I tell you how they did it. They cut their head off because they didn't have any other choice because these people, were, they had people back then who would, preyed on other people. Serial killers and murderers and, and rapists and kidnappers are obviously not a new problem because they're mentioned in the Bible. And the only way those, they, those societies had to deal with those people was to eliminate them. 
because they didn't have the, the complex society that we do where we can take these people and put them away and keep them from harming other people for the most part. So we have more ways to control this than they did at, at their disposal. And you have to understand that's part of the problem, part of the reason things were like they were in Bible times. Now, uh, we have another caller on the phone. I think, uh, Gary, I think Ken's on the phone. Are you there, Ken? Yes, Mike, I'm here. How are you guys doing? Doing okay. Uh, what's, what's on your mind today, Ken? Thanks for calling. Uh, I um, want to talk about two different scriptures. Um, one is Revelation 12, and the other one is Psalm 2. Revelation 12, what verse? Uh, well, um, the whole thing, I think, really. Yeah, yeah, okay, I okay. must, okay. must be the whole thing. I, okay. <laughs> specifically, Mark, verses 4, 5, 11, 13, and 17. All right. Let me get over there uh, where I can look at it here uh, first. You want to go there first rather than Psalm 2? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Revelation 12. Well, Oh yeah, this is the. Yeah, I was going to say this is a, that lovely complex chapter. <laughs> now a great sign appeared in heaven: a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of twelve stars. Then, being with child, she cried out in labor and pain to give birth. Another sign appeared in heaven: behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and seven horns and seven diadems on his heads. And his tail drew a third of the stars of the heaven and threw them to the earth. The dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. And she bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and his throne. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God that, that they should feed her there 1,260 days. Now, what are the verses? That's one through six. I don't know what are the what verses you said again, Ken. I yeah. Um, uh, read verse. You, if you want to, you can skip down to verse eleven. Okay. Um, War broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail. Nor was the place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. Is that, I must be in the wrong place. That's, I think that's, First, you know, seven yeah. through through ten. Is that right? Oh, that, you, I, yeah. You, yeah. I didn't. Th I thought he said eleven or twelve. I mean, okay. That's seven through ten. Yeah, and I was fixing to read eleven. Oh, okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. And they overcame by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to death. Okay. So, what's the, what's the question or point you want to make about this kid? <clears throat> okay. Um. Uh. I want to know what you think uh, these different people represent. Like, who's the woman? And obviously, it says who the dragon is. Yes, uh, it says who the dragon is. The serpent of old, 
the devil and Satan. Who accuses our brethren. I traced that all the way back to the Garden of Eden. And and there's a beautiful example of that in the opening verses of Job. Right. Uh, Satan comes before God and accuses Job. So, who the other people are? Well, I think the woman is Israel. Um, And I think that she gave birth to Christ. That's Jesus who was the savior and this child rules all the nations with a rod of iron but the woman was caught up the child was caught up to god in his throne that's probably a reference to the resurrection and the ascension and the woman has the woman has fled into the wilderness to be fed for 1260 day uh, 1260 days and that means that this woman is going to be temporarily out, out of the picture. Out of the picture and persecuted. Now, that would be the rough, my rough understanding of those figures at the beginning of the chapter. I guess, I guess the only qualification I would put in that is the woman would be the faithful of Israel, not all of Israel. Well, yeah, okay. I, that's uh, that, true. that would be the only but, uh, qualification the, the, I would put she, on it. Uh, salvation is of the Jews, Jesus says. And so the Christ, this child, was brought into the world through the nation of Israel, however we're going to look at that, and the, God's plan. Not all those people that were in Christ's lineage were good, but the, but the ones who were faithful to Christ brought about the Christ. Now, what do you think about that, Ken? Yeah, I, I agree with just about everything you said. Okay. Wow, uh, that's I want to point out something, though. All right. Um, the, so the devil tried to destroy Christ when he was, when he was born. Right. He was unsuccessful. You mean specifically through Herod? Through Herod. Is and then talking about? And then maybe again it could have reference to the scribes and Pharisees too. Right. Yeah, and, and his crucifixion. Yeah. Yeah, yes, that's right. I don't think he expected him to rise from the dead. No, I don't either. That um, was a shock. Uh, and then, and then it says, you know, they persecuted the woman, and and then the woman was taken away and protected. And then, um, in verse sixteen, and the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened up her mouth and swallowed up the flood, which the dragon cast out of his mouth. Okay, now verse 17. Let me say one more thing real quick. Yeah, I, I got one more comment too. Uh, because I think maybe Gary's comment made me re- think uh, more specifically about this. Okay. Yeah, I, I think I, that. I don't hear you guys very well, so I. You can't hear me very well? Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, let me, let me pull my microphone a little closer. I don't know if that's. We're probably, we're probably thinking, so we're not talking very loud. Uh, which means we don't think most of the time. Is that what I'm saying? <laughs> anyway, I think that this woman may be more generic than just Israel. It may be the remnant yes, of God. Yes, it may it, be God's it, remnant of faithful. It may be the faithful uh, of and all. And maybe even include the faithful uh, of, Christ. of Christ after the church right. was established. That's what I'm saying. What's and that? Verse 17 says. Yeah. Go ahead. Okay. So the dragon was wild with a woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed. 
Now, here's the key phrase, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Christ. That, that's why I, when I go back, yes. I say the faithful yes, of God I, I think is all of it. That. I think there's a sense yeah. in which so, ancient Israel brought forth the Christ. in the world? I'm sorry, Ken. Repeat that. I jumped on you. What two groups are the most persecuted people in the world? Well, Jews and Christians. Yeah, right. I think that I think that's not even debatable when you look at the numbers uh, yeah. around the world. It's just not published very much. It's just not brought out because it's not it's not politically correct to talk about Christians being persecuted or Jews either one now. So, especially religious Jews. That is one thing I want to point out is verse eleven. Okay. Equally, the last phrase. And they love not their lives unto the death. Right. That th- I've thought about that phrase many times. Well, there's a, there's another part of that phrase that that uh, impresses me, and I think we should look to a little more carefully is the first part. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. Those are the important yeah, things. The, the words, the word of the testimony of Christ. Will You're right. Satan. Well, I think this is the reason, the example, for example, that eventually the Romans came to fear Christians, is because they did not love their life to the death. They did did not love their lives to the death. They they couldn't do anything to these Christians that would keep them from serving God. They couldn't force them to serve the emperor in his image, or anything like that, because they didn't care if they killed them or not. And that's the great power that believers in God have that worldly people do not have. And you see it portrayed in movies all the time when they've got the guy strapped to a chair and they're going to kill him or do this and that and the other, and they force him to do something, tell some secret or betray those around him. Um, the ones that they fear are the ones that they can't force, and they know kind of know it. Unfortunately, that's not how most of us are. We're so soft and intent on living forever. We've got this idea that, what? what is it, Gary? If you've got your health, you've got just about everything? Yes. Is that true? No. It's not true. But we've been told this in commercials for most all of our lives in various ways. Anyway, you'll start me on a rant here, Ken. You better jump in. Well, I, I got a couple of comments that I want to make. My, uh, Ken, that goes back to Revelation 2 and 10 in the letters to the churches. He says, be faithful until death and I will give you a crown of life. I think that phrase is faithful to the point of death is his meaning. It doesn't mean if I live to be 95, I'm going to be faithful all until the then. It can include that. It can include that, but it has a point yeah. that is faithful to the point of death. I think the contextual meaning is just that, Gary. I think you're correct. It is that up, anything up and including death will not fa- make me stop believing in Christ. And and that goes along with exactly what Jesus said in John when he said, um, what was it? Help me, help me here, Mike. He says, uh, no greater love hath any man than to lay, lay down, down his life, life for his friend. Right. And he said, who are, who are my friends? My friends are those who keep my commandments. Right. So, well, he, Jesus Jesus was the example. He was telling them, I'm fixing to lay down my life for you. Now, now, the real hard part for a lot of Christians is the more 
going back further into his ministry when he says, he who, 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 he who uh, does not lose his life for my sake, you know, will lose. You, I got it backwards. Uh, if he you who do not lose your life, life, then you're not going to have life. I'm paraphrasing. That it takes, it takes to be a Christian, you have to lose your life and accept Christ's life. Now, anyway, I think this is the this has always been the reason why dictators, powerful people in the world hate Christians is because they don't love the same things that they do. They just can't understand that there's people in this country, for example, as a modern example, who don't cherish and value the same things that the New York Times does and that the professors at Harvard do. They want us to cherish and value those things because if they can get us to agree to that, they can control what we think. But when we Christians don't value those things that they do, we become really enemies to them, full of hate. They lash out because they they don't have power anymore. I think that verse you were looking for, Matthew 10. I got it confused. 39. He's, he who finds his life will lose it, and yeah. he who loses his life for my sake will find, will find it. it. Now, that's, that's a... That's a broad way of saying this. It would include the idea of not caring that if you live or die, but be yes. faithful to Christ. It also includes everything. It's a, bro- it's a much broader statement. It's a broader statement. It's more troubling to us because it means we have to lose our life in the things that we care about while we're still alive. Or, or what we desire. Our desires have everything to. Everything has to change while we're alive. Much le- and that leads us to being willing to sacrifice our life in the end. Well, Mark says it a little bit different. He says, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. Will save it, right. Now, I don't know about you, Ken, but this is the part that um, is sad to me, is that I think we either have come to or are fast approaching a time in the United States and the Western world when this is going to become a way of life, losing your life or being imprisoned, so forth and so on. Losing everything you have. I think this is going to become much more common. We already see it in some places in the world, not only Africa particularly, in the face of the Muslim persecutions going on there, but even in Western countries, in Europe, people are being jailed for, for... taking positions on what they think the Bible teaches. And this has certainly happened in the United States in many ways. And I, I hate to see it in my lifetime because it doesn't have to be that way. But but the dragon will not have anything but that. The dragon wants it that way if you oppose him. The hypocrisy that I personally predict that's going to occur is these people are so much against capital punishment for murderers and rapists and people like that, yet when the time comes, they will be for killing Christians and probably Jews. I reminded my, when my wife and I were talking about this, something like this the other day, and about something that was going on, and it, some of the stuff that happens just seems so oddly hypocritical or irrational, and I said, but honey, you got to remember that if we just accept the world's view, all that's at play here are human forces one way or the other, but if we understand what the Bible says, and she does, of course, that there's another person in this in this drama that's in front of us. And the other person is Satan himself. Yes. Who is a person who is not who is 
who doesn't care about he doesn't care about things that people think he cares about. He just cares about humans being suffering and being destroyed and worshiping him, or at least the main thing he cares about that they not worship God. That's what he's mostly concerned about. Stop worshiping God, and he and in doing so they end up worshiping him. But there's another person involved, and that's why you see things turn out the way that they do. Wicked people sometimes do so such profoundly hateful and irrational things that are being motivated by a force beyond their sight. Not against their will, but they're being motivated and whispered to. And this is what we see around us. It can't be anything but satanic. When you have people going on TV and, and exhorting people to take their babies and butcher and cut them up in small pieces and throw them in the trash and this and making this a virtue and defending this um, calling everybody who opposes it you know all kind of names what can this be but satanic it, or women proclaiming openly my body my choice meaning I have a right and I demand the right to kill the fruit of my body anytime I want to you see and if the same people demand that I get vaccinated against my choice, it's a, it can't, it's got to be hilarious to Satan. Anyway, Ken, what were you going to say? You know what I like about you guys? Oh, we you run with, we take the bait and run with the next scripture. What's that now? We provide a good segue into the next scripture. Oh, okay, yeah. In other words, uh, you can lead us by the nose right where you want us to go. Is that what you're saying? Psalm 12. Is that is that where you're going? <laughs> Psalm 2. Well, only only one other comment about here in Revelation. The, the events here, I can assign events here within the first century yes. of these things that are occurring here. This, uh, was this, this is to... not a future no. uh, set of passages. This was meant to show those people in coded language what had already happened so they could be assured of what the final result well, would be. I, I have a little different view. I think he was showing them what was going to happen in certain events. It was in process when this when, well, when it was Christ written. had already come and, and, and right. been persecuted and right. death and taken back up to But heaven. it was in process. A lot of these things were right. fixing to finish up before this was done. Uh, Mike and I have, I'll, I'll admit, Mike and I have a different point of view on the writing of Book of Revelation. I would assign it to about 64. He would put it in the 90s. I believe that's correct. Generally speaking. But I, on the other hand, I certainly, uh, I, I don't think the date is the critical thing in the Book of Revelation. That's where we, that's Well, where not necessarily in this the, chapter, but in some of the it, others. It, it, it does, really it does become critical. The date is not the point of the book. And so you can disagree about the date and still get the point of the book, which is the main thing. But uh, anyway, you were, what you want to go to Psalm two now? Is that what you said? Psalm said? twelve or Psalm? Yeah. Which yeah. one is it? Two or twelve? Two. Two. Okay. Sorry, yeah. I missed. I think I. And I did it. Was I preaching on this Sunday, or did you use it in a Bible class? I can't remember what it was. Psalm two. But anyway, go ahead. You want me to read the read the psalm or most of it or how what parts of it? Yeah. yeah. All right, I'll just read all of them. Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage or the heathen rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. But he who sits in the heavens shall laugh and the Lord will hold them in derision. 
Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and you shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, be wise, O kings, be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all those who put their trust in him. This is a powerful psalm, a prophetic psalm, I think. And uh, I can see your, your, you know, the connection you have with you would make between Revelation 12 and this passage, Ken. I can see this because this is just the people of ancient times trying to subvert the coming of the kingdom of God through Christ. And God saying, no, I'm not going to put it off. It's going to be done when I say it's going to be done. And we see this passage, this prophecy being fulfilled in Acts 2 and Acts 4, that God had indeed set his son, his king, on his holy hill in Zion, and the nations not being able to stop or prevent that. And uh, I think this reference of ruling the nations with a rod of iron, it refers all the way down through human history. The Christ is now seated on the throne, and he will rule the nations, uh, and whether they like it or not. What do you think about this, Ken? Yeah, I, I wanted to bring up something. Uh, are you familiar with Handel's Messiah? A little. Okay, uh, so it, it, Handel is Jewish, and he uh, converted to Christianity, and he wrote the Messiah, which is about all about Jesus Christ's life and what he came to do in our Abraham, right? Right. So different people sing different parts of it. The most famous part is the Hallelujah Chorus. Uh, ever hear that? Yes. I yes. Have. Yes. Okay. Do you like me uh, to sing it for you? No, no, you wouldn't. No, answer, no, no, you don't. I'll answer it for you. You don't. But anyway, go ahead. There's a tradition set by the King of England that when the Hallelujah, he, he rose, stood up when the Hallelujah Chorus started. So ever since then, that's been a tradition. When they start singing the Hallelujah Chorus, you stand up. Okay. Now, just before they sing the Hallelujah Chorus, they sing Psalm 2-9. You mean in the... break them with a rod of iron, and thou shalt bask them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Referring to the kings. Jesus will do that to the kings. This is oh, what is... Time. Go ahead. What's that? Handles Messiah. They leave that out. Uh, what, today, when they sing it, they leave that out? Yes. Yes. <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> Makes sense. I sing that. But, now, you know... I, my mother always had a theory. That when the king stood up, 
it wasn't because of of uh, respect to what was being said, but because he was offended and he was getting ready to leave. And that could be. Now there is a general generalized tradition, and like with most most things, you have to always answer. Whenever somebody makes a statement, a lot of times you should answer compared to what. Okay, so in this case, I would say that there is a generalized tradition among the English kings and especially among American presidents up until recent times to understand that even though they are a monarch, there is a power above them. They acknowledge a supreme authority above them, and and that's reflected in the word of God. In particular, Eisenhower added the phrase to the Pledge of Allegiance under God. But if you go back, you know, you can go all the way back through our presidents until recent times. And, and they're wanting to take that, they, that out. That they yeah. Would rec- yeah, they want to take that out. There's a reason why. I think it's the same reason that maybe uh, the king stood up to leave. Everybody else thought he was standing up, so they stood up and he couldn't leave probably. But this is, uh, when when we lose that that kind of respect among our leaders, kings or elected officials, we've really walked into dangerous territory. You know, the same thing is true in the home. The home and the and the and the, well the other thing are parallel. If a if a if I had to give advice to a young lady about a husband, picking a husband, I would tell I would tell her to carefully consider truthfully does this young man, by words and actions, demonstrate to you that he has someone over his head? That he has someone, even though he, you want him to be a leader, and he is a leader, that does he have someone who is his head over him that he respects? And that's God. And if he, and if he doesn't have that, you better run away because you will be subjected to a dictator and a man that cannot be controlled. And and uh, so and the same thing is true with a wife in a general way. If she doesn't have anybody that she respects as the wife, you, you better run away as a young man. And and the say we should run away from our rulers who do not acknowledge openly that I may be a a president or a judge or whatever. But but we but I have somebody over me. That judge in the Bible is it, is it Luke eighteen or? Matthew 18. Not now. For some reason, I'm sorry, I'm forgetting there. But it says he there was there was a judge, and he did not regard God or man. The wicked judge. Now that's a bad judge. We got a lot of those judges in the United States. We need to replace them. Um, but still, he gave in to the woman who gave kept in. Pe- who who to, he, kept pestering that was Jesus him. Point. Even he gave in to the woman who kept pestering him. But but that kind of judge needs to be replaced, and we have a means to do so in our country. But same thing with the kings. Uh, but you're right. This has always been the struggle. Uh, I don't know if I've said on this radio show very many times, Ken, but there has not ever been, as far as I know, maybe uh, someone could educate me, a world empire, a, a world empire like Rome or Assyria or Babylon that that did not persecute God's people, God's true Israel, God's true people. At some point. At some point. And they they do not eventually they do they become so uh, so enamored with their own power, and the same thing it just breaks my heart. The same thing is happening in the United States because of this very issue. There is no God above the head of Congress and the president. 
or the courts. And even even though verbally they claim it, you have to watch what they do, not what they say. There's even fewer and fewer that even verbally claim it, Gary. They all come out of the law schools, which do not allow any, and the universities and stuff, which do not allow any of this kind of talk to be made. So One they the, can say what they want, but when they do not acknowledge a power above themselves, we as God's people are in trouble because that's this beast in the book of Revelation. Yes. Okay, that's who that is. One other comment about this overall, Mike, before we run out of time. Both Psalm 2 and Revelation 12 carry an overall theme of God is in control and he is going to bring about the end. That is is the overall theme of both Psalm 2 and Revelation 12. As a matter of fact, the overall revelation is he is in control. He will judge the nations. And he will judge the nations. He does in his timetable, though. But it's interesting that Jesus says something like this again in John 14. And I invite you to read verses 29 through 31 of John 14. He says, and now I have told you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe. He told him he's going to go away. He's going to die. And he's going to come back. In verse 30, he says, I will no longer talk with much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me. He's saying the ruler of this world is bringing this about, but he's got no profit in me. He's not going to profit in this at and he's all. He's got no hold on me either. He's got, he's got no he hold, hook on hold to on me. On. Right. And God is in control. In Pilate and Herod, the devil had a hook in them. He could pull them where he wanted them to go. It's a crucial moment. He pulled Pilate and Herod and others to, away from the truth. But uh, even his actions, even though he could accomplish physically what he wanted to do, he's got no profit in, in it. In the end, it can't work. It can't work. But, but we, and we're entering a phase now where I think some of the things that, hopefully, 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 where some of the things that have been done the last 20 years are going to be undone to some degree. The, the real, Gary and I, you mentioned this way over here. I know we're off topic a little bit. My only problem is I don't see enough pushback by the people of the United States. God blessed us with a nation which the people have some say in this. Therefore, he expects us to have our say. And what we're saying to him is we don't mind these kind of people ruling us. We don't mind what they're doing. We, as long as they give us what we want, as long as they give me a check, we don't mind what they do. That's what we're saying. I, I have hope. And, I have, I have hope, but what I saw but, recently doesn't give me a lot more hope. Well, only got about a minute, but I'm an election denier, okay? I believe the elections have been fraudulent. Not so fraudulent that nothing ever comes out right, but basically they cheat. And the reason I believe that for the most part, Ken, is because I just didn't want to believe the American people were that stupid. <laughs> If you understand what I'm saying. Yeah, but we, we've got to push back. Yeah, we've got to push back. And, and that that's how God will spare us. Well, Ken, we're, we're going to have we're, to We're out of time. And I appreciate your call. Yeah, and thoughts very much. Go ahead quickly. Uh, the last verse in, in, in Psalm 2. Uh-huh. Blessed are all they that put their trust in the Lord. We might be in pro- have problems, but not as much bigger problems as these kings and leaders. Right. God will, God will protect his people. How happy, fortunate, and to be envied are all those who seek refuge and put their Christ in him, Jesus. Very good. Well, thank you for your call, Ken. I appreciate it very much. 
we would like to invite you uh, to attend our services at 2196 Southwest Savona Boulevard, our worship this morning, 2196 at 10, 11, and then 7.30 on Wednesday night. We'd love to have you come and visit us. Take a look at our website, wearejustchristians.com. And until next week, uh, we thank you for listening, and may God bless you. You've been listening to We Are Just Christians live from Savona Church in Port St. Lucie.